welcome to North Church. We're so excited that you were here with us. If you're new here, you can expect our services to be about an hour long. In a few moments, the band's going to lead us in some songs, and then we're going to hear an inspiring message from one of North Church's Bible teachers. If you'd like some more information about our church, feel free to visit us online at northchurch.net. There, if you scroll to the bottom of the homepage, you'll see our e-bulletin. There has all the upcoming events and information about North Church. Also, if after the service, feel free to check out our lobby. There we have an information center with kind and warm volunteers that love to help you get connected and informed about North Church. Also, you'll see our full service coffee bar. There we have warm and cold drinks and even donuts, all supported off of your donations. If you're new here, or maybe it's your first time at North Church, I just want to say welcome and also invite you to First Connect. This is a five-minute meeting where you and a pastor on staff, after service, get to talk about how you can get connected here at North Church. This fall, our next Rooted session is about to begin. Rooted is this amazing 10-week experience where you and a small group of people gather here at the church and grow in your walk with Jesus. Registration opens up August 13th, and you can either sign up online or at the Information Center after service. This September 6th from 7 to 9 p.m., we are having our student ministry fall kickoff. This event is for middle school and high school students where they gather here at North Church, have a ton of fun playing games, worship together, and hear an inspiring message from one of our youth pastors. If you'd like some more information about this event, please contact Pastor Nate Mead. And those are all the announcements we have for you today. If after service you'd like some prayer, please step forward as a member of our prayer team would love to pray with you. Also, right now, get on your Facebook apps and check into North Church because every five check-ins provides one book and a library for church planners in Indonesia. Otherwise, please stand as we're about to sing.
everybody so good to see everybody here what a great day we have in store today we're launching a new series on worship and so I hope you've come with your heart ready to engage and worship God together we did that baptism uh, river baptism that last Wednesday what a powerful time how many of you might have been there a bunch of you we had a couple hundred people there about 40 people got baptized and uh, what a powerful time you could just feel the, the presence of God in that park. And so if you're one of those that got baptized, we are so uh, happy for you. And we, uh, this is a great series that's gonna keep deepening your faith and giving you those opportunities to keep expressing your love to God. Well, hey, we wanna welcome you if you're new or if you're watching via Facebook Live. Glad that you're with us today. And uh, one of the things we value here is relationship, connecting with each other in relationship. Directly after the service, I'll be right over there. Anybody new or newer that would like to connect, make sure and come over there and say hello. And, uh, but right now, would you say hi to somebody that you haven't met before and welcome them?
Gwendolyn said she was just thinking of me, going to buy me some kettle corn. I was at the Garland Street Fair. Any of you go to the Garland Street Fair yesterday? I saw a couple of you there, saw Darren playing music, so fun. I was there for one purpose, to buy, find and buy kettle corn. <laughs> Never found it. It was so sad. Somebody needs to talk to those folks. And, uh, but it did start raining, and so that was really good. <laughs> Well, um, one of the things I wanted to celebrate was just uh, the giving from last weekend. We gave towards missions and uh, our church planters in Indonesia. And so far we raised $1,300. Our goal was $2,200. There's still some room to grow or to give. So if you didn't get to and you wanted to, uh, you can still do that today. We'll, we'll make sure and put that in before we send that over to the church planters, families that are working so hard in Indonesia to spread and plant the gospel and be good news in a very difficult environment. So thank you for your generosity with that. Well, let's stand up together. We're going to worship God right now. And so just as part of our uh, just giving it all, giving it all our all, I can say this, giving it our all, let's, uh, let's just dedicate this series and dedicate today to God. Lord, we're coming to you, Lord, um, with our lives we sense we have some brokenness. We sense we have some victory. Lord, help our mindset to not be stuck just on ourselves or our issues, problems, or even our victories and successes. Lord, we want our heart and our mind to be engaged in loving you with all of our heart, soul, and strength. And so we dedicate this series to you. We dedicate this day to you that right now in these moments that we're together singing, God, that we will sing these songs and that we will clap our hands or raise our hands or whatever we do, we'll do it to your glory, fully engaged. In Jesus' name, amen.
may be seated as we continue to worship. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom God has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. 
And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. When I look around and as we look around at this world and we see the hate that's there, whether it's what happened, the tragic events in Charlottesville, or other examples of that where people somehow are filled with this bigotry and hatred, racism, evil. It doesn't reflect God. It doesn't reflect his love. And it should be called out for what it is. It's just so wrong. We have no, we, we're called to be people who model and reflect God and his love his care for people, that people are made in the image of God. And so this morning, as we pray, I want to ask that you pray first for the love of God to just exist in your own heart, to root out any elements of malice or evil or prejudice, bigotry that we so easily can have and hold those kinds of thoughts towards others based on things like skin color, or background, culture, religion, sexual preference. We need to be people who follow Jesus and model him well. So let's pray a prayer of repentance, but also let's pray for healing over our nation, that fear would not rule our hearts, whether it's the threats of North Korea or any other threat that can take root in your mind and cause you to fear instead of have faith. So let's pray that we will be people of faith, people of humility, people who listen to the prophet Micah when he said, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. So right now, as you pray, would you pray and pray for our country, pray for the healing and comfort for those that were um, hurt and wounded and those uh, families who lost loved ones. But let's also be praying big prayers of faith that we would not ever succumb to fear. Let's pray.
It was your delight, Father, to create the one human nature that we share in a multiplicity of races. And you taught us that all men and women share in the triune image that you bestow on all persons. And so we pray, come by your spirit and shield all those experiencing injustice and cruelty and savagery because of race. Would you come by your spirit and defend those who protect the oppressed, who guard the dignity of your image in all humans? Would you bring swift justice to those who embrace threats, terror, bloodshed, and who worship violence and death? May these enemies of our common created goodness be visited by angels and converted to the cause of human flourishing that's revealed to us in your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither rich nor poor, and in whom we, together with all creation, hope for universal reconciliation with each other, by and in you and your all-Holy Spirit. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Amen. Hey, this morning we're going to receive our tithes and offerings uh, at this point. And uh, just want to say again, like we do, thanks to all of you who are so uh, generous in the way you participate in what God's doing here at North Church. Some of that generosity plays out in the giving of tithes and offerings. A lot of it plays out in terms of volunteering time and energy and service, both here at the church and out in the community as well. And uh, all of those things allow us kind of as a group to be able to have the kind of impact and make the kind of difference that we really believe God has called us to. So God bless you uh, as you participate uh, in all of those ways and in giving of tithes and offerings this morning. So why don't the ushers go ahead and come on forward and receive that. And while they're uh, on their way up and doing that, we are entering into our brand new series. Uh, For the next several weeks, we're going to be talking an awful lot about worship and becoming uh, and recognizing ourselves as a group of people who exist to worship God and to worship him well and to participate in the art of worship that way. And so it's going to be a great few weeks and a great way to close out the summer as well. Let me ask you this question just to get that started. And the question I have is this. When I say the word worship, or when you hear the word worship, what comes to mind? What do you think of? What are the images or the pictures that you would paint or draw? What comes to mind when when you hear the word worship? And for the most part, the kinds of ideas, the kinds of images that come to your mind when you think about the word worship are directly related to your spiritual journey and the traditions that you've been a part of in your spiritual journeys. If you've come from somewhere in your background, a, a very... Uh, kind of liturgical, traditional kind of church that way, uh, classical church, then when you hear the word worship, you may think in terms of all the kind of rites and ceremonies that come along with that, maybe participating in mass and the sacraments, maybe confession, maybe lighting candles or incense or reciting the creeds together or something like that, and that kind of whole package of activities that take place are what, you would, are what come to mind when you hear the word worship. Uh, other churches that are uh, traditional, I mean, and that's not a bad definition of worship, but it's just not complete as far as it goes. If you may maybe come from a, a less formal but equally traditional kind of church, um, many churches define worship in terms of, uh, I would say, the activities that individuals participate in to help in their spiritual growth, the kind of personal spiritual disciplines that lead us closer to God. So things like spending time in prayer, and spending time reading the Bible and reflecting on it and meditating upon it. 
maybe disciplines like um, fasting or silence or solitude or any of those disciplines that draw us closer to God and help us uh, hear from him most clearly. Some people say those are actually kind of the acts of worship that I think of when I hear the word worship. And those aren't wrong either, although they're maybe not quite complete. Or maybe you've grown up in a spiritual environment that's just like this one. We are what many would call a contemporary church. And in a lot of the, in a lot of contemporary churches, the word worship has taken on a really narrow definition. And it has come to mean, kind of when you hear the word worship, you think of the 20 or 30 minutes that we spend singing songs together to God and about God, and that's considered worship. And in, in some contemporary models of church, they would actually say, hey, when you go to church on Sunday, it's divided into two parts. There's worship, where we do the singing, and then there's this second part where this really attractive and insightful teacher comes out, and <laughs> why are you laughing? It's like there's worship right? The singing, and then there's the good part. No, that's not true at all. But have you ever caught yourself maybe thinking that worship is just the music? That maybe it's just the singing? Maybe that it's just a segment of the time that we spend together when we worship on Sunday morning? We're going to look throughout these next several weeks and hopefully get a more biblical view of worship, a view of worship that expands beyond just 20, 30 minutes a week or a few uh, moments of singing and music and say, wow, there's a component to worship which is my whole life. And that worshiping God extends far beyond just the music. So when Moses was getting ready to deliver the law that God had given uh, him to, for the people, um, he started uh, with some words that are really important. Um, prior to giving the rules and the commandments and uh, the covenants that explained how this relationship between God and his people would play out in their behavior, he describes first kind of this fundamental posture that God's people are supposed to have before God. And this is how he described that in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your strength. It's as if he's saying, hey, before we get around to all the rules and behaving in the correct way, let's identify our disposition towards this God that we're going to serve, right? And that disposition is going to be loving him with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our strength. And we could spend a long time just kind of parsing out, okay, what's included in the heart and how's that different from the soul and what's included in strength. But can, maybe we, it's easiest just to agree that if you love something with all of your heart and your soul and your strength, that's talking about loving God with everything that you are, everything that you possess, and everything that you do, right? I think that's a fair summary of that point there. And that's what Moses is calling God's people to in advance of just obeying the rules. And that's going to be, have to be our posture in worship as well, to say that there's no part of me which is separated from my worship of God. That when I love God and I, that when I worship God, I'm loving him with all of who I am, heart, soul, strength, all inclusive. It's all in. And so this is worship then, with all of our heart and soul and strength, acknowledging the superiority and the power of our God and calling attention to his various attributes, his unique attributes, his holiness, his purity, his strength, his love, his mercy, his kindness, his grace, and on and on and on. 
loving him with everything that we are and then translating that love into the living of an entire life that reflects that reality. And in that regard, it's not a science, it's an art. Right? Science provides really good clarity at times. And much of the time, good science provides for us a very simple step-by-step procedure that can produce predictable results, right? And sometimes we like to think that, oh, if all, all I really need is I just need a nice step-by-step guide to worship. One, two, three, four, and then I've got it down. Because that's, that's how science works and it's easy. But art is something entirely different, isn't it? Doesn't matter whether you're talking about like graphic arts, painting, cinematic arts, musical arts, literature, photography, right? Any of those. Yes, they all have an element of their rules that you have to abide by for the most part. But beyond the rules, art's not just about abiding by the rules, right? It's about recognizing them and saying there's something more there's something expressive of the soul. There's something that whether you write the words on the page or put the picture on the wall or take the photo or whatever, or, or make the music, that there's something uplifting to the soul and the spirit that moves people, that connects with people, that inspires people, that connects to the deepest places of their heart and says things that nothing else can say. That's what art does. And worship is that way as well. Effective worship, the kind of worship God calls us to, and that he has in store for us, right? Real worship connects with those deeper, internal places of our soul and our spirit and our heart that science will never touch. And I believe God is calling us to be a people who worship God artfully, which means understanding that there are rules there, but far more important than just following the rules, it's connecting the deep inner places of our heart to this activity of calling attention to the goodness and to the greatness of God. And I love that picture of worship. And yet there's something about human nature that draws us towards the how do I do that? Tell me how, what are the steps? And takes us right back to the science. Moses said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then before long, there was the tabernacle, right, that, that held the Ark of the Covenant and the tablets of the law and the whole thing. And, the, and it became this place that people came to interact with God, right? That became when, when it came time to worship, you went to the tabernacle and you met God there. And then later on, when David became king, he made Jerusalem his capital city. And then that tabernacle didn't, it was no longer mobile. It was located right there in Jerusalem. So no matter where you were in Israel, if you wanted to worship, the rules were, the mindset was, the, the science of it was that you went to Jerusalem because that was the capital city. Then Solomon built the temple there after that. David's son builds the temple. And now it's immense, it's enormous, it's impressive, it's awe-inspiring, and they're following all the rules and the system of worship is in, pla- in place. The priests are highly trained and they've got the science down. There's a place you go, there's a way you do it, and worship involves going from wherever you are to there and doing it. And then later on in Israel's history, the kingdom divided, right? You had, uh, you had Israel in the north half and Judah down in the southern half. And Judah still had Jerusalem. They still had 
the temple. They still had that place where you go to worship and follow the worship rules. And up in Samaria, they didn't have that. So they identified some other places and some other mountains and some other rules of worship that were different than how they did it down in Jerusalem. And so there was this conflict between how they worship down in Jerusalem and how they worship up in Samaria. And that tension between who's doing it right and who's following the rules and who's nailing the science of how you're supposed to worship and follow God, it got in there. And it created real tension between the two groups. There was all kinds of racial tension and hatred between one people against another because they were different. Love to think we've come beyond that, right? But clearly we haven't. So Jesus walks into this situation and he has a conversation while he's up in the north with a Samaritan woman that he meets at the well. And it's in the middle of this conversation in John chapter 4 that this woman perceives that Jesus is some kind of prophet or teacher, and so she asks him kind of the, the religious question of the day about, look, we think that there's a, one way to worship and one place to worship. You're telling me there's another one down here in Jerusalem. What's the deal? In fact, she lays it out this way. She says to Jesus in John chapter 4, hey, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Right? There's this, this, which one's right? What's the correct way? What's the science of worship all about? And whether you're talking about Moses with the tabernacle or David in Jerusalem or Solomon with the temple or even this view of which mountain, north or south, what these all have in common is the sense that worship is this thing that's very localized. It's isolated, that you go to a place to do worship. Their view of worship in all of those cases was this that you went to a particular place and location to do worship. And then when you got there, you did worship a particular way. And then you left that place to go do the rest of your life however you wanted. And so this conversation of the woman at the well with Jesus was initially a conversation about which was the correct place to go and what, what was the correct way to do it. And as usual, Jesus was, his response was beyond what she had ever imagined, and she never saw it coming. This is what Jesus said. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. And yet, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus indicates that a time is coming when something's going to happen to the old framework of worship the framework that was about worship at a particular location, a framework that locked into a particular time frame, a framework of worship that was built on maybe being a part of the right group or the correct denomination, a framework that had a prescribed format and maybe a very particular musical style. He says a time is coming that's going to crush that old framework and replace it with one that is alive in spirit and in truth. And Jesus says it's going to be different. And it's not just going to be different at some point in the future, in the distance. Jesus says it's actually different right now. Why? Because I'm here. 
The reason that the old framework of a worship that's located and isolated in a time and a place and a style is going to get crushed and broken down and transformed because Jesus Christ is here and the work that he has done on the cross will make new things possible. John Piper, who's a theologian, had this to say about that. What Jesus was doing in this passage in particular was identifying himself as the true temple. In himself, he will fulfill everything that the temple stood for, and especially being the place where believers meet God. So here again, he is pointing attention away from worship as a localized thing with outward ritual, into a personal and spiritual experience with Jesus at the center. And then here's the kicker. Worship does not need a building, a priesthood, and a sacrificial system. It needs the risen Jesus. The risen Christ transforms everything about worship. Jesus says, I am the one. I am the one who will make that transition possible. I am the one who will actually empower you to worship in spirit and in truth. I am the one who's going to make it so that worship isn't some isolated, localized component of your life that's separate from all the rest of your life. I'm going to make it possible for something different and better than that. And this was an interesting reality because Jesus himself was localized. He was in a single place, right? We understand we, we worship a God who is eternal, has always existed, and has always existed as Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And it, it, the teaching of the church and, and Christian faith is this, that at a point in human history, that middle person of the Trinity, the Son of God, took on human flesh, became localized in one place and could be only at one place at a time and lived his life in Jerusalem, Jesus Christ the man. And these disciples had gotten very attached to him. They'd come to the conclusion that he was the Messiah and where he was, they wanted to worship. And so they came to him in worship and then the time came when he said, hey look, I'm going to go. I'm going to be put to death and then I'm going to leave you. And his disciples were crushed. They were worried because now where would they go to worship? The place that they went to worship was going away. And Jesus had to explain to them, no, this is way better for you that it happens this way. Because when I go, I will send the Holy Spirit back for you and to you. And that Holy Spirit will indwell you. That third person of the triune God, the Holy Spirit, will come in and as you walk in faith, he will dwell within you in a way that had never been possible in human history to that point, Jesus makes it possible for the eternal God to dwell within you and me. And now an entirely new kind of worship, a worship of spirit and truth, is possible. He says to his disciples, you will no longer, you'll no longer go to the temple that houses God. You will actually be the temple that houses God. 
And with that spirit dwelling within you, you'll be free to worship in spirit and truth. You'll be able to love the Lord your God with your heart and your soul and your strength like maybe you never could before. You'll be able to worship God not just at church, not just at temple, not just at religious activities, but every minute of every day. At work in the way that you honor God in the doing of your work. At home in the way that you love and care and interact with your family. At school in the way that you learn and study and grow. In your free time using the different gifts and abilities and talents that God has given you to his glory. All of these things are specifically acts of worship that are now specifically possible only because the Holy Spirit of God dwells within us. And that is specifically possible because Jesus came and lived and died and rose again. And now, because of that, we can live an entire life of worship the way worship was designed to happen in the first place. And I hope you're catching the irony of this. The irony that we're talking about this freedom to worship God with our heart, soul, and strength every minute of the day, and we're talking about it in a building that we meet in on Sunday morning (laughs) at a very specific time, going through a very predictable format of, of worship, right? I'm here to say that if your experience, if your picture of worship is in any way limited by these four walls or in any way limited by the amount of time that we meet here when we're together, you're missing the vast majority of the worship opportunity that you have. The life of worship that Jesus Christ came and died to make possible doesn't limit itself to 60 or 70 minutes on a Sunday morning. It's lived lived out 24-7 around the week and around the calendar and at all times. So that instead of going to a particular place like a church for spiritual activity and relying on a particular form of religious services, we get to end up living a life of worship, an entire life of worship, as an expression of our love for God. And that is what the Apostle Paul was getting at when he wrote things like this to the Corinthians. He said, so whether you eat or drink Or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. To the Colossians, he wrote this. Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Every activity throughout the day can be a moment of giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus Christ. If if we have that mindset and heart set. Driving down division while the traffic is all jacked up because of construction. Maniac zipping back and forth and cutting you off. The the driving experience can be an act of worship. Not if you do it like I do it. (laughs) But potentially, there is potential there to say, God, in this moment, even a moment of high frustration and irritation, I'm aware of your presence with me. And I'm going to conduct myself along the way, not in response to whatever morons are trying to drive around me, but I'm going to react in response to the presence of God within me and behave accordingly. And even that act of driving down the road can become an act of worship at that point. What is this worship in the spirit then actually like? It involves engaging the heart and our emotions and our passions a little bit when we worship. It's related back again to Deuteronomy 
6, right? When we're to love the Lord with all of our heart, right? That, that's what it means to worship in spirit. It's the same idea. And it involves really a refusal to simply go through the motions in living out our love for God. I'll say it again. It, revol- it involves a refusal to just go through the motions in living out our love for God. I remember I grew up in a generation that when we, were, when we learned to pray, when they taught us to pray, it involved a lot of, it involved kneeling, getting down on our knees and kneeling and folding our hands and closing our eyes and then beginning praying. And that's how I was taught. And I actually, like, I came to the conclusion, wrong but mine, that, well, if you weren't kneeling, it didn't count. And if your hands weren't folded correctly, it was only like partial credit. And if your eyes happened to be open, all bets were off right? And, and come to find out, come to learn later, that, that each of those outward expressions are just outwards exp- outward expressions unless they're connected to something meaningful on the inside, right? T- to close my eyes isn't more inherently, it's inherently more spiritual, but it is a decision that says, I will not be distracted from everything that's around me, right? Folding my hands to pray isn't inherently better but it stops the stuff that happens and brings me to a point of focus. There's nothing magical or inherently spiritual about kneeling until it's connected to a a posture of my heart that says I'm humble, I'm submitting, and I'm bowing before my God, in which case that kneeling is very powerful. Worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Worshiping in spirit means refusing to just go through the motions, folding the hands, closing the eyes, bowing the knees, unless it's connected to something very genuine on the inside. I remember as a kid seeing the people in the church, you know, that seemed like they were very spiritual, and we'd sing and the hands would go up, and I'd go, man, those people mean business. I don't know what that means, but they look like they are doing some business right now. (laughs) And so then when, at the various points along my journey, I said, I I think I kinda wanna do some business with God. I guess that's what you do. It means nothing, right? It can mean I give up for for everything else. When when it comes to to our, our times of corporate worship, when we do sing, worshiping in spirit means refusing to just go through the motions. Because you can clap, even clap on rhythm, some of you. But that doesn't mean your heart's engaged, right? And we can sing all of the words. Some of us can even hit the right notes. But if those aren't connected to a real attitude and a posture of our heart, then they're just outward expressions, right? And the same could be said of the raising of the hands or the closing of the eyes or swaying. Maybe that's just bad balance, right? What's happening on the outside, if it's unconnected to something real on the inside, is meaningless. And I want to encourage us as a congregation, whether we're talking about what happens when we're here singing together or we're talking about the way we live our spiritual life throughout the week, I'm talking about a refusal to simply go through the motions, but the choice to connect outside activities, external behaviors, to internal realities that is powerful. So, how will you engage your heart? How will you worship in spirit this week? This week it can be done, and I'm, and I'm calling us to that. And I want to suggest three things that you can do that might help you along the way. The first one is this. Eliminate the mind-wasting distractions. 
One of the things that simply keeps us from going past the surface level into places that are deeper, more heartfelt, more real, more reflective, more soul-filling. What, what keep, and I'm talking about in our relationship with God and in our relationship with others, one of the things that keeps us from going there are all the mind-numbing distractions that we have. The Snapchat, the Facebook, the Pinterest, the Netflix, the ESPN. I mean, just keep going, right? They're all there. That dumb app on the phone that you turn to and you go, oh, I think I have five free minutes. Oh, it turned out I had five free hours. How did that happen? <laughs> right? That, that there's a call to walk away and step away intentionally from some of the distractions for the express purpose of being able to engage our deeper heart, to engage our emotions, and to go relationally deeper both with God and with others so that we can live a life of heartfelt worship with him. We can do that, but it will take some intent, right? Second, a refusal to go through the motions. Some of you are awesome. There are those here, you know who you are, you don't have to raise your hand, but you know, you just wake up at five o'clock, before your feet hit the ground, you're reciting scripture, you're singing worship songs while you make your coffee, and you just got that dialed in. And that's excellent. Others of you wait, you've got that, like, the perfect chair with the little reading lamp, and there's the time of day and the, and the place where you do your devotions with God, and that's awesome. Most of us have built in somewhere to our lives those places where we go to engage spiritually, and they're built on kind of disciplines and habit patterns that get us there. And it's great to have the disciplines, and it's wonderful to have the habit patterns. But you know what happens with habit patterns? They become just patterns. That's the chair I go to. That's the book I read. Didn't really get anything out of it today, but I know my eyes saw every piece of ink on that page. Wasn't that wonderful, right? I want to encourage you, whatever your habit pattern and discipline is, when you get there, would you spend a moment saying, God, I will not go through the motions today. I will not do this just to do this. God, I want to open my heart to you and, and have you speak to me. I want to meet you here, and I'm unwilling to just go through the motions of a discipline or a habit. So we're going to kind of get rid of the distractions on the one hand. We're going to refuse to go through the motions on the other. And then finally this. We have the opportunity this week to turn everyday tasks, tasks into acts of worship. Right? To, to I'm going I'm to go to work today. And I'm not just going to go to work and do some tasks, but my life today at work as I do the things that I do, I'm going to live them out as an expression of the Holy Spirit who dwells. I'm going to Holy Spirit who dwells in me, living out God's love and life as I do these tasks. I'm going to, you know, so maybe that's at work. Maybe at home, I, I'm going to. I'm the one who's with the kids today, and it's not just about you know wiping snotty noses and changing diapers, but it's about representing God's love and care and presence to these ones who are here. And I'm going to do it not just to take care of them, but as an act of worship to the God who has placed them in my life. I hate gardening. With all of my heart, I hate gardening and weeds and everything else. But if I choose to, I can make an act of worship out of spending time and saying, God, you know this is not my first choice. It's not my 90th choice, but here I am, and I'm gonna choose to make this time where I partner with you in 
caretaking your creation and making it, if not beautiful, at least more beautiful than it was, right? There's not a task that you will undertake in this coming week that you cannot choose to make an act of worship if you will. But it requires some intentionality, right? It requires some sense of saying, no, I'm going to go into this new task, into this moment, into into this activity with a new heart that's different than I had before. As I do this, I'm going to do it as an expression of loving God with my whole heart and with all my soul and with all my strength. Will you you participate with me in that experiment this week? We're going to see some great things happen over the course of the next few weeks as we become more and more a thoroughly worshiping church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the gift of your Son. He's the one who makes it possible for your Spirit to indwell us, makes it possible for us to worship you in spirit and in truth. And so God... Would you, by your grace and in the power of your Holy Spirit, lead us into those places of practical and powerful worship in the everyday stuff of life? God, we refuse to have our worship life isolated into a few spare moments. God, our whole life is yours, and we worship you with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Scott. I've already got some things God is speaking to me that I, I'm going to intentionally do this week to make sure I'm not just going through the motions. And uh, so thank you for that. Hopefully God will be speaking to you or already is right now. Well, hey, we have an amazing prayer team. They're here every single week after each service right over here. If you have any prayer needs and you want some trustworthy people to just stand with you in prayer, make sure and go over there and talk to them. Uh, I'll be over here on the, by this other monitor. And if you're newer or newer to the church, I would love to just say hi to you and uh, in something called our First Connect right over here. So uh, make sure and do that. And next week, we're going to continue in our series as I talk about worshiping God in truth. And so come, uh, bring a friend with you, and uh, we'll see you then. So let's stand up together. Go have a great week. Worship God all week long. <laughs>